My name is Amanda Newland Davis, and I run Oklahoma Cold Cases along with my partner Jen. At Oklahoma Cold Cases, we try to shine light on the cases of the missing, murdered, and unidentified that otherwise don't get much media attention. For the last four years, we've existed solely on Facebook, sharing the posts of the missing, murdered, and unidentified of Oklahoma. But this past year, we've branched out and started a database in which we list all of the names of every cold case that is in Oklahoma that we are currently aware of. You can find us at oklahomacoldcases.org. I would also like to take a minute to let you know about our podcast, which is called The Throwaways. It is about the Lawton serial killer, which is a series of unsolved killings considered to be by the same killer, which took place roughly between 1999 and 2003 in Lawton, Oklahoma. You can find it wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to Sirens, a true crime podcast brought to you by the Sirens Network. This podcast contains explicit content, so listener discretion is advised. The opinions expressed on this podcast are solely the views of the hosts and do not reflect the views of affiliates, associates, or sponsors of this podcast. This is Sirens, a true crime podcast. On January 3rd, 1979, police took a call from a man who identified Verna and Harold as the killers. Who was the caller, you may ask? Well, it was Roger Dale Stafford himself. And apparently he was drunk. So he called investigators drunk to tattle on his wife and his brother about killing people. He's lit, man. (laughs) Listen, (laughs) these two sons of bitches. I really want to know. Like, I wish that they had a recording of that somewhere. I would love to hear that. (laughs) Like, I didn't have anything to do with it, officer, but my wife is a piece of shit. (laughs) She stole $40 from me, and now I want you to know. So stupid. He's an idiot. So investigators had previously released the composite drawing to the public from the family murder case, right? From the Lorenzes. And this is what he was calling about. So apparently he saw the composite drawings and called to tattle on his own wife and his own brother. But there was still a composite sketch of him. And they're like, okay, well, who's this other, this third guy? And he's like, man, I just, I could not tell you. <laughs> I think any good detective would be like, all right, I think we know who that is. <laughs> so after the sketches were released, he anonymously called officials saying that he was a truck driver who partied with Verna and Harold at a Tulsa motel and then identified them. So he was claiming that he was just a passerby, a truck driver friend that that wasn't his brother. I wonder if he was like, that's not my brother or my wife. I'm just a truck driver. Okay. (laughs) I don't know these people. And this would be the lead that helped investigators crack the case adding that they had no names until Stafford provided them. 
But it's like there's no telling there's no telling what happened to make that happen. But I don't understand how he thought where in there did you think that they weren't gonna turn on you, right? I know they're accomplices, but they're witnesses. He's like the mastermind of all this shit. And then he's like yeah. forcing her to shoot people that way she's involved, you know, that way her hands are dirty. Criminals are so dumb. A week after the Sirloin Stockade massacre, investigators found out that Harold had been killed in a motorcycle accident. So in that, knowing that your brother is dead, maybe that is a good reason to blame it on him because he could take the fall for it all. Yeah. Makes sense. When Harold was killed in the motorcycle accident, he was killed near Tulsa, and it was six days after the Sirloin Stockade murders. A woman showed up at the Tulsa funeral home and identified herself as his wife. Now remember, he only had a girlfriend that was knocked up, and now all of a sudden he has a wife. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Oh, shit. That's not how you run to women, Harold. (laughs) <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I guess <laughs> I could have done a background check, I guess, on him to see rah, rah. to see when he was married and who he married. But I don't know. I just, I kind of like just the conspiracies that we come up with better. So. Yeah, this is a good time. <laughs> <laughs> Harold, you dirty dog. And apparently his wife, when she showed up here, his quote unquote wife, I'm making air quotes, <laughs> wife. <laughs> she couldn't provide identification. So she came back later and she said that she was just a friend. Like, what the hell? Investigators actually tracked this woman back to an Arkansas mental institution. I'm going to let that sink in. A what? (laughs) (laughs) This possible wife, possible knocked up girlfriend was maybe not even either. (laughs) (laughs) It's just like, I don't know. There's so many questions. But I mean, I feel like, I feel like probably still in the seventies, people were getting locked up in mental institutions for really stupid afflictions. Like stuff that's actually like, like manic depression and you know, like, yeah. Especially women. Yeah. It's like, oh, she's batshit. Better lock her up. It's like, uh, yeah. (laughs) Mm -hmm. It's actually a problem in society. You dicks. (laughs) Back in those days, I think the conversion therapy shit was still a thing, too. There was all kinds of crazy stuff going on. Zap the gay away. Yeah. So, I mean, anytime I see something that says a mental institution pre-1990, I'm like, well, (laughs) we don't know for sure if they were actually mentally ill or not. I know. Okay, so when they tracked her back, she was actually able to provide more information indicating that the Staffords were involved in the steakhouse murders. How she knew that, I have no idea. But somehow she had this information on them. Officials identified Harold Stafford's wife. Wait, wait, wait. He did have a wife. And they traced her to Chicago. Ayo! So then who? So she must have been the quote-unquote knocked-up girlfriend. But she wasn't knocked up. Weird. Why? Okay. Why can't he have two women? I guarantee you that was a fucking fact. He had a wife, and that's why this girlfriend needed an abortion. Apparently, this wife is just living her life in Chicago, and he's down here in Oklahoma making a bunch of... Knocking women up. Hello. (laughs) So, and getting into trouble and murdering people. Don't plant your seed, Harold. It's a crazy one. (laughs) It's not great. I can tell you that. Let's not. (laughs) 
So they found Harold's actual wife in Chicago, where she was working in an office with Verna, who was Roger's wife. Verna was then almost immediately arrested and promptly implicated Roger. You think? Verna was taken to Oklahoma. They extradited her, where she mapped out the murders. I don't know... And it was the 70s, so we'll probably never really know what role she actually played. But I'll tell you what she said here in a minute. So she let them know where Roger was. He was apprehended in Chicago as well in a YMCA, which must have been a wonderful sight for the YMCA goers. (laughs) Um, hmm. Adding that on the trip back... So the detective said that he appeared, quote unquote, nonchalant, like he didn't even really care that he was being extradited. During questioning, he asked if his wife would be allowed to testify against him. When told that Verna was cooperating, he told officials all he could think about was the gas chamber. At this time in Oklahoma, this was 78, there was no law that prevented a husband from testifying against a wife or vice versa. Oh my God. So later that's probably really going to fuck him, you know? (laughs) Not bad. (laughs) I mean, he was already asking about it, so he already knew. Following his arrest on March 13th, 1979, Roger told a cellmate that the age of his victims didn't matter to him. Quote, it didn't make any difference whether the person was 2 or 82. Uh, man, fuck you. That's horrible. Yep. Andy Coates, an Oklahoma City attorney, former Oklahoma County District Attorney and past mayor, prosecuted the Sirloin Stockade case. Arthur Linville, this detective I've been talking about, headed the OSBI task force that was charged with solving the crimes in the summer of 78. He did an interview later that he said it was the most notorious crime in the state until the April 19th bombing of the federal building. He called it a joy killing, quote unquote, joy killing. He said the victims were doing exactly what they were told. He doesn't believe Verna Stafford's story about the manager's comments, like he doesn't think that the manager was trying to provoke Roger at all. And a key element in Stafford's conviction was a then-recent change in the law I just told you about. They could testify against each other, and apparently this didn't last very long. This, I guess, was changed where they could testify against each other and then almost immediately changed back that people were allowed to testify against their spouses. It's weird. Yeah, it is really kind of weird. Linville said that the Staffords could have gotten more from selling drugs or stealing cars, but they basically just wanted to kill people for the fun of it. Another decisive turn for the prosecutors came when Gregory Martin, 11, found the murder weapons linking the Staffords to both of the Lorenz family murders and the Sirloin Stockade Massacre. Now, I don't know who Gregory Martin is because obviously he's 11 at the time. There's never too much information about minors. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm just going to speculate that maybe he was a nephew or something of one of these three that they had stashed the murder weapons in the house he was living in. I don't know. But... We know that he found them and he turned them in. Roger Stafford 
ultimately received death sentences for the Sirloin Stockade murders and was also sentenced to death for the Lorenz family murders. Stafford continues to maintain his innocence, saying, Berna Stafford lied on the stand. During the 1980 trial in Purcell for the Lorenz family murders, Stafford was asked why he believed Verna was trying to pin the murders on him. And he said, quote, I caught her with another gentleman and left her. She said, I'll get you for it. I'll get you no matter how long it takes. That's was part of his testimony. It was later learned that, that Roger actually began his killings on a killing spree on January 12th, 1974. This was four years prior to the family murders. He killed a 21-year-old named Jimmy Earl Berry, who was a student at the University of North Alabama, working as an assistant manager at a McDonald's. Berry was shot four times, and the perpetrator robbed the restaurant of almost $1,400. So the, the crime remained unsolved until four years after the incident when Stafford and his brother Harold were implicated by Berna during her confession of the Sirloin Stockade murders. So, I mean, kind of sounds like something Roger would do. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He basically did the same thing in the Sirloin Stockade murders. You go in, you rob them, and then you kill them just because you can. Yep. And each each time it's about $1,200, $1,300, $1,400. And because Roger was prosecuted and found guilty in Oklahoma, they never prosecuted him for Barry's murder because he was already serving time here. Amazing. On March 13th, 1980, Berna was convicted of two counts of second degree murder and sentenced to life plus 999 years. I wonder where they came up with 999. <laughs> I mean, like, why not just say a thousand? 999? 998 is right out. <laughs> <laughs> she was incarcerated at the Maybell Bassett Correctional Mabel. Center in McLeod. Mabel? Yeah. What did I say? Maybell. Oh, did I? That's a Southern thing. Maybell, Oklahoma. Well, I do declare. <laughs> she actually divorced Roger in 1982, and she later remarried <laughs> someone else. I don't know. Like, I don't, I don't know why I thought that was funny, and then I, I needed to put that in there and tell well, you. But <laughs> in all honesty, like, it's funny to me that it's like the minute your husband narks on you for felonies. Yeah. I think it's assumed. Like, you should just automatically get granted a divorce. Yeah. We were not that close. No one files for it. It's just like, you know what? Turns out I was looking to take my last name back. <laughs> Let's just get this over with during the trial. Hey, Judge, since you're here. We're done. No kidding. <laughs> it's real. like uh what it's like what was it? Um Ted Bundy who pulled that little technicality in open court where he married what's her face? It should be the opposite of that. Like you should be able to say something in open court in front of the judge and they're like, you know what? Divorce granted. Thanks. <laughs> Thank you. Hit your little gavel thing. Let's do this. <laughs> <laughs> If you're my husband and we're Bonnie and Clyde and our asses around, like right. you're my ride or die, you better shut up. I was about to say, that ain't no ride or die. You narc, I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> so, of course, she appealed her sentence in 1989. And at the hearing, 
Then Oklahoma County District Judge Richard Freeman told her, and I quote, I would wager that there's one of the hottest corners of hell vacant with your name right above it, and they're waiting for you, end quote. That's unnecessary. Whoa, that's hot. I can't believe he actually, like, said that in open court. That's crazy. Did you just say, whoo, that's hot? Ooh, that's hot. It's hot. (laughs) Getting hot in here. (laughs) Hot as hell. I wasn't ready for that. I wasn't ready for that. (laughs) (laughs) Everything's fine. (laughs) So, as you could probably tell, her appeal was denied. (laughs) (laughs) So, I found some, uh, a few different things that's obviously like when we look up stuff from I guess you could kind of say historical cases but anyway a lot of them have differentiating facts I was looking at the the court dates and stuff like that and what Roger was actually sentenced to and I found that for the stockade murders he got six death sentences but for the family murders I found different things there was a article on the front page of the New York Times and the Oklahoman that said that he got three counts of death for the Lorenz family but then when I'm actually doing the research on it and looking through like Stafford versus state of Oklahoma and stuff like that I never saw anywhere on any of those legit court documents where he got the death sentence for them I did see on one of them one of the documents said that he got two counts of life without parole Um, I'm not really sure exactly what he got I'm just gonna go off of the documents that I found so I'm gonna say he got two counts of life without parole I don't know yeah makes sense and of course he appealed several times and all his appeals were denied He was actually, so he got the death sentence and he was executed by lethal injection on July 2nd, 1995, which was like four months after the Oklahoma City bombing. Oh my God. Could you imagine having to sentence someone to death while people are still looking for bodies? out of the Oklahoma City bombing. Yeah, in all honesty, I think I would hurry up and sentence someone to death during that. Because I mean, he's he's a murderer too. I'm on. I'm just being honest, I'd be like, you know what? Get it over with. You know, that's why a lot of people um, don't approve of the death penalty. I do. I do and I don't. I don't on the fact that I wish, I don't understand why it costs so much to do it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That part does not make any sense to me. You would think that it would cost more to house someone and feed someone and whatever, give them whatever they need for the rest of their lives, rather than 10 years and then we sentence them to death. That part I don't understand, and I don't think that it should cost more to put someone to death. However, the part that I do believe in is that I'm not really an eye for an eye kind of person, but I feel like when you commit murder, you yourself forfeit the right to live. Yeah. Like, well, I, there are so many people who are like, don't you realize how ironic that is that it's 
the narrative that I get is like, don't you realize how ironic that is? Like, like you're mad at them for killing someone, so you're gonna kill them. Da 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 da. And I'm like, okay, so here's the deal: whenever weeds take over your fucking garden, do you leave the roots? Well, you shouldn't. <laughs> yeah. So you go straight to the source and fix, like, get get rid of the source. Hello. Yeah. You know. Oh yeah. How how else can I make it make sense? Yeah. I feel like if you murder someone. You have now forfeited your right to live. You're now giving your life in exchange for the lives that you took. And I feel like in some cases it's right. Think about freaking, let's just say Ted Bundy again. How many chances would he have gotten to escape? He was an escape artist. There are just some times when you have to, you gotta do what you gotta do and go for the death penalty. That's just all I'll say about that. Sorry, bye. Maybe next time you won't be such a bad person. Mm, probably though <laughs> you probably will though larceny theft things like that i i think that a person can be steered from doing again i don't know if you can steer a murderer from murdering again or a freaking pedophile from pedophiling again <laughs> that's your new word for the day pedophiling <laughs> Anyway, so this this case is something else. I didn't know that anything like this had happened. And this actually, is this our first spree killer? Yeah. And uh, what's that? It reminds me of that movie. What is it? Is, is it Natural Born Killers that I'm thinking of? Mickey and Mallory? Yeah. Is that? Yeah. 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 Like you said, Bonnie and Clyde. I mean, I feel like she probably had a lot more to do with it than she's letting on that she ever let on but at one point during the trial she said that he basically held her hostage when they were in the walk-in freezer and grabbed her and put his gun in her hand and then held his hand over her hand on the trigger and fired the trigger like what the hell is that what happened we don't know but harold i mean I, I hate to say this, but I don't hate to say this. Harold kind of got karma immediately. <laughs> Six days after the massacre, and he has a motorcycle accident. I mean, I'm just saying, karma works pretty fast sometimes. Yeah. But I didn't know that, like, I, for some reason, thought that this happened in Texas. And so anytime when someone would say the Sirloin Stockade murders, I was just like, oh yeah, in my mind, I was like, that was Texas. I don't need to know anything about that because it was way far away or whatever. I don't know why, but it was Oklahoma City. So in a place you've been. Yeah. In a place that I have. Yes. That's the craziest part to me <laughs> is that when I looked up because in this stuff, I found the coordinates for it. So I looked it up and I was like, holy cow. I can remember the table I sat in when I was in that restaurant. It just kind of gave me the creeps and the chills. And the Lorenz family got justice in this case. All of the victims from the massacre got some sort of justice. I almost feel like the first victim didn't really get justice, but I understand why they didn't pursue that. It's kind of like the, um, I don't know why I keep going back to Ted Bundy this time, but it's like the Ted Bundy case when they got him and then convicted him in Florida. All the other states were like, yeah, we're not. He's already getting the death penalty. Except for 
like what was it Colorado they were like fuck that I want him dead in my state too (laughs) (laughs) well I feel like there's there's like a certain aspect of closure that doesn't get met or satisfied Mm -hmm. like I don't care that he's already serving time for something else it's like oh he's already being punished no big deal yeah like no you you need to answer for other things and it's not even it's not even just the punishment part for him it's it's the establishment of justice. Yeah. If that makes sense. You know, it's like, okay, so if he kills your mom and my mom, but he kills my mom in Oklahoma and your mom in Texas, and he is only serving time for your mom, it's like, uh, hello? Well, yeah, and and not only that, but what happens if, let's say he appeals, and let's say he had really crappy attorneys or something, and they actually like they actually give him an appeal and so it gets turned over and now he's not serving any time for either if you would have gone after him for both of those things at least if he gets let out of jail in Oklahoma or whatever they would immediately send him to Texas to start his sentence there oh yeah yeah if it were me if I were the the DA for these places I would go after stuff like that every time yeah they were convicted yeah they were given the death sentence I don't care I'm still gonna get justice for my people here yeah anyway so that's the sirloin stockade massacre see we've talked I don't know we've talked about so much and we brainstorm so much and we make these lists and we look stuff up and then it's like I can't remember what we have I know it's like once we're done talking about it it just you flush it down the toilet I don't need that the book closes yes (laughs) the book the book has closed you've reached the end of our episode all suspects are innocent until proven guilty in a court of law Join Raven next time on the Sirens Podcast. Do we have an outro? That's our outro, isn't it?